we go. Jesus, Satan is trying to dot, dot, dot. Let's look at Acts chapter 20. Acts chapter 20, take a look at verse 17. Let me give you a little context to set it all up for you, okay? We've been studying the book of Acts. We've seen Paul. What has Paul been doing for the past nine, 17 minus 9, you figure it out. What's he been doing for that many chapters? Preaching the gospel, okay, yeah. He's been preaching the gospel. Where? Synagogues, he goes to a city. Synagogues first. They either receive it or they don't. He's done, shakes the dust off, goes to whom? Gentiles. And I know we're used to that, but that's a huge deal that the gospel went to the Gentiles. Big deal. God's playing all along, but big deal, okay? What has Paul been uh, preaching to them? Yes, the gospel, but like, Jesus has a wonderful plan for your life. Is that what he's saying? Or Jesus wants to be your friend. What's he been doing? Anybody? This is what, it always takes a little time to warm you up. Come on. You can do it. Charlotte, what's he been doing? What's, what's Paul been doing? Jesus has been doing a whole lot too. Going to jail a whole lot. What, Pauline? At any cost. Oh, they might not like me. Still preaches the gospel. You were the ones that crucified Jesus. Oh, okay. Anything else? Again, this is a fulfillment of Acts 1.8, even though Paul wasn't even around at that time. Anybody remember Acts 1.8? You will receive power to be my witnesses when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. Witnesses where? Jerusalem, yep, that happened, Acts 1 through 8. Judea, Samaria, uttermost parts of the earth. We're in the uttermost parts of the earth point, okay? Paul has gone on these missionary journeys, right? He's planting the church, taking the gospel, establishing elders, and then leaving and saying, okay, I got to go somewhere else. Does the same thing. Well, this time on this journey, he's going back to a church that we've already talked about, the church at Ephesus. How many of you were here a couple Wednesday nights ago when we talked about idols, idol smashers? You remember that? That was one of the churches that Paul went to. We had the church at Corinth, the church at Thessalonica, and the church at Ephesus. All of them had idolatry. All of them had this major change. When the gospel came, they changed, they flipped. There was a radical transformation where they said, idols are out, I'm going to follow Jesus. First uh, Thessalonians chapter 1, they turned from idols to serve a living and true God and wait for a son from heaven. That's awesome. That's the gospel. That's the effect of the gospel. Well, Paul goes back to this church in Acts. Actually, he doesn't go back to the church. He summons the leaders of this church. Let's look at it. Verse 17. Now from Miletus, he sent to Ephesus and called the elders of the church. These are not the old people, in case you're wondering. These are the 1 Timothy chapter 3, Titus chapter 1, leaders of the church. Okay, They have a lot of characteristics. Of, it's a huge calling. He calls those guys, and he says, come to me, verse 18. And when they came to him, took probably about five days, he said to them, 
You yourselves know how I lived among you the whole time from the first day that I set foot in Asia, serving the Lord with all humility and with tears and with trials that happened to me through the plots of the Jews, how I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable and teaching you in public and from house to house, testifying both to the Jews and to the Greeks of repentance. Not just Jesus has a wonderful plan for your life, here's the four spiritual laws, but you need to change through Jesus. Okay? Repentance towards God and faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. And now, behold, I'm going to Jerusalem, constrained by the Spirit. That's a great phrase right there we don't have time to get into. Not knowing what will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me in every city that imprisonment and afflictions await me. But I do not account my life of any value, nor as precious to myself, if only I may finish the course in the ministry that I receive from the Lord Jesus. Remember Acts chapter 9, when the, all the conspiracy around Paul of, hey, I've chosen him, he's going to be my mouthpiece, he's going to be the instrument that I use to take the gospel to kings and priests and to the Gentiles. Um, verse 28, pay careful attention to yourselves. Oh, wait, go back to 27, because that's 26. Therefore, I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of you all. Why? Why does he say that? For I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. Um, if you know anything about the Old Testament, there's this thing of if you just say a little but not a lot, there's this imagery that the blood of people that are going to perish without the gospel, that the blood is on your hands. It's an Old Testament imagery that Paul is speaking right here to these elders of the church. Why is he innocent of the blood on the hands? Well, because he, he did not shrink away from declaring the whole counsel of God. Verse 28, pay careful attention to yourselves and to all of the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God which he obtained with his own blood. Jesus bought the church. Cool. I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves will... Wait, from where? Who's he talking to? Whoa. From the elders will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away disciples after them. Therefore, be alert remembering that for three years I did not cease day or night to admonish everyone with tears. And now I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up, give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. I coveted no one's silver or gold or apparel. You yourselves know that these hands ministered to my necessities and to those who are with me. In all things, I have shown you that by working hard in, in this way, we must help the weak. And remember the words of Jesus, how he himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. And then they pray, and it's like, okay, Paul's going to be gone. He's going to go, and he's probably going to die in Jerusalem. See you later. Okay, here's the benefit. And we're going to get into this of how this applies to us in a second. But here's the benefit of where we are in eternity. They're hearing this for the first time in Acts. We're able to look at what happens after Acts, we're able to look at what happens after the fact to see if what Paul says is true. What does Paul warn them about? What's going to happen after he's out? Wolves, fierce wolves that are going to devour the flock. 
and what else? There's going to be men who come in, and what do they try to do? Twist or distort the truth, leading many people astray. Where are these people going to come from? Within the church, from within the elders. Jude chapter 4 talks of the same thing. These people come in unnoticed, introducing strange heresies and doctrines, okay? So let me just show you a couple of things, a couple of places where we can see whether or not this happened at the church of Ephesus. Turn over to 1 Timothy. We're going to do a whole lot of word and then a whole lot of application when we're done, okay? So bear with me. 1 Timothy. You there? I'm not, because this is a different Bible than I'm used to using. It is in the New Testament. It's with all the other T's. This is what's going through my brain right now. 1 Timothy 1, 19 through 20. Now, why are we looking at 1 Timothy? Anybody know? Okay, I'll just tell you. Paul is writing to, who is it to? Timothy, that's good, that's pretty obvious. Timothy is located at a pretty strategic place, Ephesus. He's the one going to Ephesus to kind of do this, hey, how are they doing with this thing? He's like almost the pastor of Ephesus. Not really, but kind of, okay? Look at what it says in 1, 19 through 20. Remember, fierce wolves and men who distort the truth. 19. Uh, go back to 18. This charge I entrust you, Timothy, my child, in accordance with the prophecies previously made about you, that by them you may wage the good warfare, holding faith and good conscience. By rejecting faith and good conscience, some men have made a shipwreck of their faith. Among them are Hermenius and Alexander, whom I have handed over to Satan, that they may learn not to blaspheme. Okay, status check. A couple years later, church at Ephesus... What's going on? Read it. Look at it. What's happening? Okay, there's a couple guys. They've got some weird names. Hymenaeus and Alexander, what are they doing? They have rejected faith and they have shipwrecked their faith. That's a pretty huge imagery. Notice Paul calls them out by name. Pretty crazy. Let's go to the next one and look. Go to 2 Timothy. I love 2 Timothy. It is the book that I try to read once a week because it reminds me of my role as a pastor. 2 Timothy 1 verse 15. This is a couple years later. You are aware that all who are in Asia turned away from me, among whom are Phygelius and Hermogenes. What's happened? Men have come in, distorted the truth, and people are walking away. Let's go to another one. This crazy sovereign circumstance, Joe referenced in his testimony. Okay? Look at chapter 3. We'll start in verse 1. But understand this. By the way, 2 Timothy is all about preach the gospel, retain the standard of sound words, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry, Gospel, 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 okay? Look at chapter 3, verse 1. But understand this. In the last days, there will come times of difficulty. For people will be what? 
Lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents. Always found it really strange that that one was in there. Wow. Ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, (laughs) lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. Look at verse 5. This is the one Joe was talking about. Having the appearance, the waxy surface on the outside, having the appearance of what? Godliness, but denying its power. The only, only uh, instruction in this text is the next verse. Avoid such people. In Acts, it was be aware of these people. In 1 Timothy, these people are there. 2 Timothy, these people are there. 2 Timothy 3, avoid such people. Verse 6, for among them are those who creep into households, capture weak women, burdened with sin, and led astray by various passions, always learning and never able to arrive at a knowledge of the truth. Just as Janus and Jambres opposed Moses, they were some of the Egyptians back in Exodus chapter 7, so that these men also, what do they do? They oppose the truth. Men corrupted in mind and disqualified regarding the faith. But they will not get very far, for their folly will be plain to all, as it was with those two men, Janus and Jambres. So this sobers me as your pastor. I already told you about Jude 4. This really sobers me because my job as your pastor is not to entertain you. My job as your pastor is not to plan crazy sixes and snowball fights, although some of you wish that that was more what I focused on. My job is, one, to retain the standard of sound words, preach the gospel, be ready in season, out of season, to give a defense to everyone who has questions, to do the work of an evangelist, to be a, like the hardworking farmer, to be like the soldier, to be like the athlete that competes for the prize, Second Timothy. That's my job. And my job is to be aware of the wolves. Those who come in and try to distort the truth. Let me tell you how I've heard about this recently. And God is so sovereign. Y'all realize that, right? Sovereign means God is in control. He orchestrates all things. Things that are going on within our group and then what we're studying in the Word. This is why we study a book and not just like, oh, what's the Bible say about? When we study a book, it brings to light some things that we wouldn't normally talk about. This is not one of those like, oh, touchy-feely topics of conversation. There are wolves, y'all. There are wolves that have the appearance, the waxy surface of godliness, but they deny the power. They have been disqualified from the faith. Their faith is shipwrecked. Okay? That means they say they're Christian in in Titus chapter 1. They profess to know God, verse 16. They profess to know God, but by their deeds, they deny him. Oh, yeah, I'm a Christian. I've got all these things. Being detestable, disobedient, 
and worthless for any good deed. That's Paul to Titus. Crazy situation on this island of Crete. Same situation. Men coming in trying to introduce strange doctrine to distort truth. In Titus chapter 3, he says, not only avoid these men, but rebuke them. Rebuke them. After a first and second warning, shut them down, get them out. Paul's very serious about the wolves, okay? So I just wanted to share with you all some assessments. I've got two assessments going on right now um, with, with things that are going on with our group, okay? What I want you to do, turn to, uh, turn to your friend to the right or to the left and say, there's wolves. Yes, I'm stalling because I left my book back here in my bag. It's my bag, Pam. Thanks for putting it there. Okay, there are wolves. There are men who are trying to distort truth. Say it to your friend. Also say, hey, are you new here? Say, hey, are you new here? If they are, introduce yourself, say your name. If you don't know who they are, say your name. We're not going to do the whole, like, getting a group of five or six people today because we don't have time, because I'm long-winded and I, I realize that. Okay, now, here are... Here's the assessment, and I, this is not my own deal. And those of you who were community group leaders, we went through this, um, and, and you'll like it. But I want you to assess. Now, here's the deal. You can assess other people, okay? Oh, that person's that. Oh, that person's this, okay? I want you to allow the Holy Spirit to assess you. Sometimes we have blinders in our lives, and we don't even know who we really are, Okay? Some of you might need to, in after this time, go up to a friend of yours who might be a little blinded or deceived and just say, hey, which one did you think you were? And they'll say it and you can say, oh, oh my, you are not that. You're more like this. In a loving and gracious way, I'm not very gracious, so insert grace, okay? Here we go. Here are two assessments. Assessment one. What is that? Horses. How many of you like horses, horses, horses? No? Okay, maybe. All right. Here we go. I'm reading this from a book, so bear with me. Horses are vibrant leaders who pull a lot of weight, and they run really fast. Horses need to have character. They need to have sound doctrine, and they need to agree with the vision of the church. I'll tell you, when I first got here, actually this Sunday was the Sunday that I came last year as my first Sunday, just to observe and see what was going on, okay? I, at that moment, prayed, Lord, if you're leading us here, give me some DNA carriers, otherwise horses, men and women that are able to bear a lot, run quick, and not get bogged down. Guess what God did? He brought some horses. If you're a horse in the room and you're a girl, it's not gross or weird to call you a horse, okay? I'm very thankful for the horses. Here's the next one. Whoa, hey, whoa. Colts. What's the relationship between a horse and a colt? Not a cult like we worship Satan, but a C-O-L-T. Yeah, they're baby horses. Colts are emerging leaders who need training, they need testing, and they need opportunities to lead. Some of you are colts. You want to be a horse, but you're not there yet because you haven't been tested. 
You haven't seen, okay, when this situation happens, what do you do? Are you just going to give up? If properly broken in, love the imagery there, a cult can be developed into a whore. Number three, fish. Some of you are fish. I'm doing it because I have a clicker. Fish are non-Christians who are spiritually lost and often not actively looking for God. Fish need a Christian friend to lovingly introduce them to Jesus in the church. There's a whole lot of fish in the sea, right? You've heard that before? Well, there's a whole lot of fish around the church, too. People that are checking it out, right? What do they need again? They need someone to be living Jesus to them, to speak sound doctrine to them, to give them an example of a life that is changed by Jesus. Cool. Next. These are all relatively easy. That's the ones at the end that are hard. Eagles. Aren't eagles pretty? Yay. We should sing the Star Spangled Banner right now. Eagles are skilled leaders. Skilled leaders who are being developed within the church with the express kingdom purpose of leaving the proverbial nest of the church and leading a ministry somewhere else. Missions work, church planning. These are leaders that are being developed. They have similar qualities as horses, except they're going to fly the nest one day. That's okay. That's a big fan thing. That's kingdom work. Then there are mules. Mules, don't insert the other word, are faithful workers who dependably and continually do whatever is asked of them in the church. I know, not the other type of mules, but I know some mules within this group that they serve, serve, serve at all opportunities that they get. Mules need to be thanked and protected from burnout. Right on. Cows. Cows are selfish people who wander from church to church, chewing up resources without ever giving back to the church until they kill it. A fence needs to be built around the church to keep cows out. You know some cows? They go to this church, they go to that church, they go to this church, Oh, I go to this church because I like this. I go to this church because I like this. I go to this church because I like this. And they never commit to a faith family to say, this is the bride of Christ that God has called me to. I'm going to roll up my sleeves, get dirty, and serve no matter what. You know some cows? It's all about my needs. Cows are good for two things. They eat, kind of like babies. They eat, and what else do they do? They leave big, fat turds. Our generation, sadly, there's a lot of cows because we've grown up in this culture that says church is about consumerism. You come, we'll do anything that we can to get you here. Come chew up our resources and then go chew up Gateway's resources. Then go chew up the village's resources. Then go chew up whatever else's resources. Cows, building the fence. Uh, Squirrels, oh yeah. That's generally the reaction. Squirrels are people who are generally liked because they're nice, but they rarely do anything meaningful. Squirrels need to be put to work in the church. Let me share with you a really sad story. There's somebody who um, 
is being baptized today. We have several members of the gathering community that are like, I'm, I'm ready for gospel change. I've seen it in my life, and I want to identify that with baptism. Awesome. One of them, the story that I overheard, was they were telling their testimony, and they were telling how they had spent some time with some other members within this group. And the question was asked, well, did they ever talk to you about, you know, Jesus or changing or the gospel or transformation? You know what they said about this person? No. We, I mean, we had a good time. He's good for a laugh. But we never really brought it to the gospel. And then one person, one of our horses came in, brought it to the gospel, and guess what happened in this person's life? Transformation. Squirrels need to get to work, right? It's not just about having a good time, okay? Everybody's wondering who that was. Shut up and don't worry about it, okay? The next are stray cats. Oh, isn't that cute? I hate cats. Stray cats are socially peculiar loners who linger around the church. Stray cats need a friend to help bring them into the church and an opportunity to serve other people so that they can be meaningfully connected to the church. You know some stray cats? Yeah. Usually our first reaction is like, oh, what do they need though? They need a friend. They need somebody to welcome them into the church. Okay? Here's where it gets a little fun. Next one. See if you can tell me what this one is. Can you see that? Rats. Isn't that disgusting? I hate rats too. Rats are people who appear to have the potential to have a fruitful ministry, but they lack dependability, they lack humility, and they lack maturity. Rats need to be rebuked. And if they don't repent, they must be strategically ignored until they commit to no longer being a waste of time and effort. Harsh, right? Okay, so here's the situation. Um, an individual calls me. I have a three-hour-long conversation with them, basically rebuking them. Okay, rebuking them. Guess what they do? They go somewhere else, and they have the same conversation with someone else. And guess what they do? They rebuke them. Then guess what they do? They go to someone else. That's a rat. They lack maturity, humility, and dependability. Okay. They go from person to person to person chewing up the resources when all these other people could be spending time doing other things instead of listening to the rebuke of the word of God. Crazy. Everybody's like, who's that? Don't worry about it. Oh, the next one, sheep. Sheep are people who have legitimate needs that require patient and loving support. All this will be online later if you don't want to write all that down. Examples of sheep include widows, orphans, and those who are seriously ill and fighting addictions in their lives. Sheep need to be loved and nurtured. Okay, so if you're a sheep and you're dealing with addictions in your life, we have a great ministry called Recovery 627. There is no reason, though, that a sheep should be an eagle or think that they're an eagle. If they're still struggling with addictions, should they be leading people? No. Do you get that? Do you understand that? Okay. If you're following somebody who is a sheep that is, I mean, they're honest about their addictions. That's great. 
There's no reason, though, that you should follow them at this point in time. They need to be tested. They need to have people come alongside of them, not to be the one to come alongside people. Okay? Does that make sense? Hopefully it does. Okay. Next one. Oh, this is my favorite. Oh, wrong one. Ah. Go back. Ducks. If you're a part of PETA right now, I'm sorry. There's a reason why these ducks are dead. Let me explain to you. Ducks are disgruntled people who continually quack about whatever they're unhappy about. Continually. Somebody want to be brave and give us like their most obnoxious duck sound? No, I didn't think so. Anybody? Oh, that was good. Yeah. It sounds like, uh, remember Dumb and Dumber, the most annoying noise in the world? That's what it sounds like. Like, imagine people that are like that. They're the ducks. And guess what happens with ducks? You ever see just one duck? Remember Mighty Ducks? They get in a little group together. And guess what they do in this group? They quack louder and it's more obnoxious. Do you know some ducks? who even when they come to church, it's just <laughs> And that's your greeting that you go up to people and you're like And they're like And then whenever you go out to eat, it's like I hated that Do you know ducks? Guess what you do with ducks? You take out the shotgun and you rebuke them of you are an ingrateful little consumer. And why don't you go to the cross and realize that this is not about you. Church is about you serving others. So stop your... Okay? Um, ducks need to stop quacking or the pastor pastor's leadership must go duck hunting before the ducks drown out everyone else and every other thing in the church. Yes, they do. Everyone say hallelujah. All right. Oh, ah, go back. Oh, I can't go back. Oh, no. Oh, remember the snake image? Well, let's go back there, okay? Snakes. Snakes are evil people. Did you do that or did I do that? Okay, snakes are evil people sent by the serpent, the devil, on a mission to destroy. They want to destroy the church from anything from sexual sin to starting rumors. Leaders, and by that we mean me as the pastor, the connection leaders of Pam, Greg, Scott, Brenda, Cindy, Joe, Jamie, all of those people, not you, the leaders need to stomp on the snakes before they bite people and infect them with deadly venom. In 2 Timothy uh, chapter 1, where it's talking about those guys, it says that their speech will spread like gangrene. Once you're bit, it infects. And unless you cut it off, it's going to destroy the whole body. It's the same thing with snakes. Now, I was telling a story uh, the other night. Um, how many of you heard of Billy Graham? Yeah? Billy Graham knew that there were snakes trying to get him, okay? And so what he would do is every time he went on a trip, which was a lot because he traveled a lot, he would send somebody into the elevator 
or into his hotel room to see if there were any snakes, any women who were trying to get that photo op with him to disqualify him from the ministry and starting a sexual rumor. That's how he dealt with snakes in his itinerant ministry of doing crusades. Snakes, if they bite, can be deadly. And then finally, the last one is the wolf, which Paul talks about. There are wolves. They will come. They will distort truth. Wolves are false teachers whom Satan sends into the church to devour Jesus' sheep. Wolves need to be quickly identified, rebuked, and if they are unrepentant, they must be shot before their false teaching destroys people in the church. Let me share with you kind of a story that I heard recently. People were gathered together and they were having a conversation about what had happened on Wednesday night. Good win situation of, oh, what do you think that means? I think it was the Paul and Timothy thing. They were talking about the Paul and Timothy thing and um, someone actually had out their Bible. They were reading it. They were conveying it. And this individual said, well, that's what the word says, but. Guess what they inserted after the but? But, well, that's not really true in real life. To which the individual sat there, and I hope, was in their mind like, wait a second. They just read the word. It's not like they're even paraphrasing. They just read the word. And then you're, you have the audacity to say, well, yeah, but. That's called a form of godliness. Denying its power. That's called men who profess to know God, but by their deeds, when they say, here's what the word says, they deny him. Some of you are like, well, that's judgmental. No, that's what God's word calls us to do, to be discerning. Some of you need to put on the eyeglasses of the word of God and start discerning what's going on with your friends. Start discerning what's happening when you meet for dinner one night and the quackers start quacking and the wolf starts throwing things in there to distort truth. Let me give you the last assessment. Go to the uh, next slide for me so I don't have to flip through all those. Last assessment. And this was on the internet, okay? If you didn't get it. Positives, negatives, neutrals. Positives, negatives, neutrals. What do you think a positive is? This is how I assess you, okay? Positives, negatives, neutrals. What do you think a positive is? Upbeat. Not one of these like, oh, I just crashed my car. Not that type of positive. But a person that loves gospel change and wants to see gospel change happen in the lives of people around them. They don't get bogged down with the details of what's going on in life, but they say, Jesus is alive. So whatever this situation is, Jesus can bring rescue and restoration to this situation. Neutrals, neutrals are those people that are neutral. They're either affected by the positives, to lean to this camp, or they're affected by the negatives. Neutrals need to be affected by positives, not the other way around. And then finally, the last one, negatives. Guess what? They don't love gospel change. They love to get in there, complain, ducks, rats, wolves. They love to be the ones to stir things up. Guess what needs to happen to them? They need to be rebuked. After a first and second warning, they need to be out. 
positive, negative, neutral. So your job is to consider, are you, which one of these animals are you? Your job in the next couple of days is to have a conversation with somebody in this room and say, hey, without hurting my feelings and like stomping me on the head if you think I'm a snake, let's not do that yet. Which one do you think that I am? Actually do it this way. Hey, I think I'm a, what do you think that I am? And you can usually tell by the person's reaction. The first time I had this conversation, one person said, well, I think I'm a horse. They weren't a horse, they were a duck. And they needed someone to tell them, you're a duck. You quack all the time, and you do not, you are not effective as a leader because all you do is quack. And that conversation happened. And that person humbly accepted it and is trying to change through the cross of Jesus Christ. Cool. Second Timothy, how do you know if these people are coming? Acts, how do you know if these people are here? Be in the word. If they try to pervert the gospel, they're a wolf, a snake, a rat. Okay? Let's pray. God, I thank you so much. Lord, make sense of all this mess that I just spewed out. Lord, thank you for grace. Thank you that you reveal truth to us. Lord, I ask that if people are here and they are... Um, Lord, if they're wolves or if they know wolves or if they know rats or if they know ducks, that you would make this a culture where we say, hey, I'm concerned about my brother. Not only am I concerned about me, but I am my brother's keeper. So Lord, I ask that you would reveal truth to us. Use your word, use your spirit. Allow us to do it like Jesus did where he gives grace to the humble and he opposes, he vehemently opposes the proud. Lord, allow us to do that. Allow us to find our significance and our identity in the cross of Jesus Christ. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.